Um, this morning, I am going to talk about being vulnerable. Um, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 14 or your Bible apps, um, that's where I'll be reading from. I'll have other scriptures, but that's, that's where I'll be starting today. And in talking about being vulnerable, I want to talk about why the reward or rewards of being vulnerable far outweigh the risk of being vulnerable. Because if you're like me, vulnerable is not one of those words you just cling to. Like, yeah, that's what I want to be. <laughs> I want to be vulnerable. So uh, I, I want to read a passage, um, and then we're just going to kind of unpack it. Acts chapter 14, uh, starting in verse 8. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. And when the crowds saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in uh, Lycaonian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul, Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. Now, garland's not a word that we use every day, so um, I imagine the majority of, of women in the house probably know what a garland is, and I imagine the majority of men in the house don't know what a garland is. So uh, let me go ahead and unpack that for you. Um, a, a garland is a floral or a, a, a leafy crown that is, that is woven together to be placed on the head as a place of honor and to be worn as a crown. Can you imagine how this must have wrecked the hearts of Paul and Barnabas? I mean, kind-hearted gesture for sure, but it's real easy to just draw the parallels between this moment and what Jesus what his torturers forced upon his head in a, in a crown of thorns. And now these, this crowd, these people, are exalting them, putting together a spontaneous garland for them to wear as a place of honor, something beautiful, something lovely, and, and trying to make sacrifices to them. Now talk about like the emotional high and the emotional low. Here the Lord had just used him in a remarkable way. Um, it's Paul and Barnabas who were speaking, but we see in Scripture there was Paul who, who as he was speaking, he spoke and he, he just said, stand up, get to your feet, and the man was healed. I mean, that's a high, right? If we see a miracle, someone who had never walked, who was crippled from birth, and all of a sudden they're miraculously healed, leaping to their feet, springing to their feet, the crowd going nuts. Now, that's a high point. That's exciting. And then you start to realize, okay, they, they, they don't understand yet. They don't understand this message of Jesus, I guess, speaks because they're trying to worship us. They're trying to exalt us. They're mistaking us for gods. It must have wrecked them. I mean, I, I can't even imagine a scenario where they, they would try and put that, that floral wreath upon their head. And, and Paul and Barnabas say, no, no. I imagine it must have been just a type of anguish 
Anytime we make ourselves vulnerable, anytime we pour out our hearts and we share a message that is close to us, that is vital to us, we're taking a risk. And these guys had just gone into a new city that, that worships many gods. And they're making declaration there is one God. You're worshiping dead gods. And I'm here to proclaim that there is one living God. And they demonstrated his, that living God's power, healing, and they still didn't get it. This risk that comes with vulnerability. These men are gods in human form. And they tried to exalt them. Let's continue with verse 14. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard it, heard these shouts of these gods, these men are gods. They tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd crying, men, stop. Why are you doing these things? We are just men like you. We are just men with a nature like you. We are men with the same passions as you, with the same flaws as you. And we bring you good news. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God. If I can pause right here. When, when we can bring good news and still stand on the truth that, friend, that, that, that thing you're doing, that's, that, that's dead, man. And it's never going to bring life. It's never going to bring life. Yes, Jesus is full of grace and mercy and his love is immeasurable. Our God is good and only good. And, and yes, th there is good news that, that our sin has been paid for by the work of Jesus Christ. But I'm just letting you know this thing you're doing right there, that will never bring life. It's dead. That thing you're doing right there, it will never satisfy. It will only bring death. But here's the good news. Turn to the living God. Turn to the living God, not this dead idol. Because I want to pick it back up. That you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And again here, uh, Paul and Barnabas, are, Barnabas, they're proclaiming, even though you didn't know this one living God, he's been good to you. He's provided for you. He's been there for you. He's cared for you. The, the, the seasons that you've had, God was behind that. The rain that you've enjoyed, God was behind that. The response that Paul and Barnabas delivered was not some passive, polite message. When all this took place and they're trying to exalt them, it wasn't some polite um, rebuttal or, or rebuffing. It wasn't, hey, I can see how you'd be confused. What with me being such a great speaker? I get it. Hermes, I get it. Fair comparison. Barnabas, look at that beard. Glorious. Zeus-like, show. I get it. I see why you'd be confused. We just healed a, a crippled man. None of y'all could do that. We did it. I could see how you'd be confused and think we're gods. There was none of that. It was immediate anguish saying, stop what you're doing. You didn't hear a word I said. 
Jesus is the one for this to be exalted, not men. We're not gods. We're men just like you. But with this one difference, we know Jesus and you don't. We know his grace and you don't yet. We've already turned from dead things. You know, I could see Paul in his mind going, oh, you have no idea the dead things I've turned from. You have no idea the, the pointless um, religious acts that I did my whole life until I was faced with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. You have no idea the dead works I've done. And you have no idea the life that I now experience. But that's what I'm here to share. And somewhere in this, in this harsh rebuttal, is now you've heard the truth. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? And then there's the making it about God. Anything that we have done, either supernatural or natural, anything that we've done by the power of the Holy Spirit or just out of our, our obedience to God and our desire to please Him, all of it was done so that you could know Jesus too. Honor is one thing. And we absolutely should honor. I love honor. I love honor. I love honoring each other. I love honoring one another. Honor is huge. I think honor is one of the, one of the greatest traits that we can exhibit where the, the world sees that the, the love of God is genuine in our life and the ways that we honor one another. But not some sort of weird exalting. And I think, I think sometimes we can be bad at it. I think sometimes we can go on the flip side and then we can never receive any, like, encouragement whatsoever. I mean, uh, there's times I've, there's times someone's like, oh, man, you know, that's, uh, you know, that's a cool shirt. And I'm like, oh, you know, thanks, thanks, thanks. And I'm just uncomfortable with the compliment. And you got, anyone ever had that? Someone's like, oh, my gosh, your hair looks beautiful. Oh, thanks, thanks. And we almost shake it off. So we can go the opposite way and not receive any encouragement, not receive any words of life. But I'm letting you know right now that we shouldn't want to be the ones that are exalted. As, as a pastor, I do not want to be exalted. I'm just a dude. I'll say it all the time. I'm a graphic designer. I'm a graphic designer that God called to plan a church. I didn't go to seminary. I said yes to the thing God was calling me to. And you know what? For that, there should be a certain measure of honor. Absolutely. But does that mean that you shouldn't receive honor for the thing that God's called you to, that you said yes to, and that you're walking in? We all should receive honor for walking out our faith with faith and faithfulness. I'll say it again. Nobody should be exalted and worshipped except the Father, Jesus, the Son, and Holy Spirit. The story of this occurrence that took place in Leicester was shared with us so that we could see just how vital it is that we walk in godly character and vulnerability. I wish I could say that this story um, that we see in Immediate 360, but it actually gets a little worse. We'll get to that in a minute. Character. Character. We have to let go of dead and worthless works, things that, that aren't going to grow us in the Lord. 
We, we don't have unlimited capacity. We have limited capacity. I love when David was talking about different people that he was, you know, calling, you know, to his army. And he, and he said, he said, there's captains of tens, there's captains of hundreds, there's captains of thousands. That's because we all have different capacities. And the truth is we all have different capacity in different seasons. I might be a, a captain of hundreds and, and then there's a season, man, where I'm going through it. And I don't have the capacity to be a captain of hundreds. And maybe at that time, I'm, I'm just lucky if I'm able to captain my own soul. Godly character is what qualifies. Godly character made evident through the work of Jesus in our lives is our qualification. Because if he's a living God, which he is, then our life should be bearing fruit, not as some funky um, act of our own strength and goodness, but because it shows that the Holy Spirit is with us, growing us, and that we're walking out our faith, being sanctified daily as we grow in Him. And character comes forth. But being a godly follower is a risky thing. Being a godly leader is a risky thing. Because being a godly follower and being a godly leader requires vulnerability. I'm just letting you guys know, this is a major theme. It, it's the six of us that sat around the campfire this week was just the strength of vulnerability. I, I want to define the word just in case we all kind of have a different image of what being vulnerable is. This is what the dictionary says. Vulnerable. It's an adjective defined as. Capable of or susceptible to being wounded or hurt as by a weapon. Sign me up. That sounds awesome. I'll take two measures of that. The next definition, open to moral attack, criticism, or temptation. The third definition, of a place, open to assault, difficult to defend. And then the final, willing to show emotion, or to allow one's weakness to be seen or known, i.e., men and boys are rarely seen as vulnerable. This is what the, the dictionary, the example they use. Men and boys are rarely seen as vulnerable. I, I want to read those again just real quick, and I want to just make some obvious parallels. The first one, capable or susceptible to being wounded or hurt. No one likes to be hurt. No one likes to be wounded. If only we had a healer. Right? If only we had a healer. Then maybe we could be more vulnerable. Then maybe we wouldn't fear being hurt as much. Then maybe if only there was one. You guys, because Jesus is our healer, we should not be afraid of being vulnerable, and we should not be afraid of hurt. I, I've heard it said many times, we don't grow without pain. Pains, pain can be different than wounds, though. Wounds really stink. But our God is a healer of wounds. He's a healer of of physical wounds and emotional wounds and mental wounds. Open to moral attack, 
criticism, and temptation. God is our defender. And even if we are open to attack, God is our defender. Criticism, criticism comes. God is our defender. We don't have to fear criticism. You know what? Too many followers of Jesus Christ allow the fear of criticism to keep their mouths shut and not speak the truth about Jesus Christ. For fear of criticism. It is really offensive to say there's only one God and the God that you community, Lystra, are the gods you are worshiping are dead. And the one that I am here proclaiming is the only real life God and he's living. That is offensive and dangerous. And yet, we're afraid to make a statement like there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. It comes no other way. And I'm being honest with you because I want you to know rescue and healing and deliverance. I want you to know salvation through Jesus Christ. Offensive. Fear of criticism. So just to be honest with you, we don't, we don't make it a secret that that I enjoy cigars, and the men of this church, we get together and have cigars. We don't make that a secret because we're not ashamed of it. But some people are offended by that, and there's probably people that haven't stayed at this church as a result of that. And I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. I, and that's offensive. Good Lord, this is buggy your seatbelts. I'm not trying to be intentionally offensive. Some people are offended by the fact that I might drink, that I drink, not might, might, that's misleading, that I drink beer, that, that, that I drink, and that in these times, that we have a couple beers if guys want to. That's offensive to some. But we're not going to keep it a secret because it's not something to be ashamed of. But does it open me and Andy as, as the, the pastors of this church open to criticism? For sure. Absolutely. I mean, I think last week, you know, in, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was talking about an aspect of vulnerability and, like, you know, cussing. Like, oh, don't cuss. Like, Kara going, oh, don't, Lord, don't let him cuss. Don't let him cuss. And then I've said, you know, I've said for years and years, you know, when we're being raw with God, he doesn't critique our, our use of words. We can be authentic and raw with him. And he's not, he's not offended if we, use, if we use some authentic and ugly words. He's not offended because he sees our hurt. Stuff like that opens ourselves up for criticism, and we know it. But you know what? We're not going to be fake. And we're not called to be fake. We're called to be authentic. Willing to show emotion or to allow, allow one's weakness to be seen or known. I, I guess that, to me, comes down to willing. It comes down to will. My will, your will, your will, or God's will? Who gets their way? Whose will do we want to be done? And I'm telling you right now, for us to represent Jesus Christ, there has to be a willingness to be vulnerable because he was vulnerable. He called 12 men to be his closest followers knowing that one of them would what? Betray him. He knew it. He knew it. 
he still called him and he loved him and he drew him close and he treated him like a brother, knowing that he would be betrayed. Why? Because vulnerability carries a risk with it, but it also carries reward when we trust the Lord. Authentic leadership and authentic following admits weaknesses, admits limitations, admits faults. Vulnerability is not easy. And I I know, I understand that some of you don't want your pastors to be vulnerable. I, I get it. I get it. But it's not right that anybody should be put on a pedestal short of Jesus Christ. If you and I don't allow ourselves to to be vulnerable, if we give into that image, whatever that image is, whatever that thing is that we think people want to see us as, this is the image that I've got to be seen. You know, I mean, there was a time when, when, uh, and I'm not, I'm not like busting Kara out, but I mean, there was a time when she wouldn't have people over unless the house was spotless because she didn't want to be seen as messy. And it took work for him. Like, babe, I don't care. We're not going to sacrifice friendship and relationship and hospitality at the expense of cleanliness. So the house isn't clean. I don't care. And I'm like, baby, I'm going to make it really messy and invite everyone over. And I, I don't know how to teach. I don't know how. To and and she, but she had to come to this place where she's like, I was afraid of being judged. I was afraid of being criticized. I was afraid that if people came in and that if the toilet wasn't clean. Um, which was one of my responsibilities, but it reflects on her still. That's okay. Um, that she'd be like, you know, that's a bad, that's a bad woman, that's a bad mom. That's a, you know that she would be looked down upon. There's risk, but for us to have an impact in the lives of people, there's got to be vulnerability. So why is it worth the risk for you to be open, honest, and vulnerable about your humanity and your weakness? I'll give you four reasons. Number one, it's healthy. Being open and honest about our humanity is healthy. I love movies. I'm a big movie buff. Uh, A few years ago, I came across a study that was published in uh, 2013 from Knox College. Uh, I think I've even shared this study before, but it was a really cool study, and it discussed the use of masks in cinema, in movie making. And it discussed the tension and discomfort that characters wearing masks create for the viewer. So I want to read, this is a quote from that study. Creepiness is anxiety aroused by the ambiguity of whether there is something to fear or not and or by the ambiguity of the precise nature of the threat. Masks are disturbing for this reason. When someone's wearing a mask... You are unable to discern if that person is a threat to you. Their intentions are ambiguous. Their intentions are unknowable. It gets creepy. Wearing a mask or wearing a facade is unhealthy. And it does not lend to closeness because there's something that's just unknown. There's there's an ambiguous nature to it. Most of the time we can tell when someone's there's a defense mechanism going on. Most of the time we can tell. Most of the time we can tell when, the, when a mask is being worn, but not all the time because some, sometimes we, we are real good about that mask. 
just for the record, history and cinema have shown that unless you're a doctor or a welder, someone wearing a mask is most likely a, a threat to you. I'm just saying. Just ask Michael or Jason or Darth. Whether it's actual or whether it's emotional, wearing a mask requires an enormous amount of energy. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. The facade is exhausting. The front is exhausting. People who worry about maintaining an image are just asking for burnout and they're just asking for isolation. On the other hand, being vulnerable, although hard, liberating. Absolutely liberating. James writes this in James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and it produces wonderful results. So the word sin, confess your sins one to another, that in Aramaic, the word for sin is also translated as fault, folly, and offenses. You know what folly is? You know what folly is? Foolish stupidity. Confess your offenses one to another, or maybe let me rephrase it. Admit that you know that you've been offensive, that you've offended, that you've hurt. Admit that one to another, your folly, your, your, your stupid foolishness. And pray for each other so that you might be healed. And, and that word healed, it's similar to the word sozo. It carries restoration with it so that you might be healed and restored. Anyone else in need of a relationship being restored? Maybe it starts with a confession of folly. So I'll look, I'll look this, I'll look at the cross so I don't look at any of y'all. If we can't humble ourselves and be vulnerable enough to admit when we've hurt somebody, we probably should take a, a while to get on our knees before the Lord and ask him to identify the deeper causes of that, the deeper roots in our lives that prevent us from saying, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. I blew it. I was stupid. I was thoughtless. I didn't take into consideration your feelings. I was selfish. I was, I mean, none of us like that. Can everyone just say this for a second? Repeat after me. Say, I was selfish. It ain't so bad. I was stupid. We all can do it. It's okay. It's okay. The examples. I was stupid. How does it feel when we're wrong? Get, shout out some answers. How does it feel when we're wrong? Bad, bad. What else? It hurts. Anything else? It's embarrassing. Embarrassing. I think you guys are answering the wrong question. Although your, your, your answers to that question are really good. But I think you're answering the wrong question. You're answering what does it feel like when we realize we were wrong. When you're wrong, you know how it feels? It feels just the same as when you're right. Because we think we're right. 
So when you're wrong, when I'm wrong, it just feels like we're right. feels great. feels great. We think we're right. It's when we realize that we're wrong that we feel mad or sad or, or foolish or embarrassed. There's probably labels we can put on that. I'll just go ahead and put pride. Pride's a big one. That's pride. Oh, man. Now I feel stupid. Oh, man, now I look foolish. Oh, man, now I, that looks really bad on me. If we will go to one another and we'll say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Uh, and I clearly hurt you. And then, following scripture, pray for each other. Yeah, I know you don't feel like praying, and if I'm honest, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel very worthy right now. I, but let's just pray together. I'll, let's pray together. And then talk about authentic leadership. Then be a leader and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead us. Lord, we need you. Lord, my words have caused pain. Lord, my, my actions have caused division between us. And Lord, we need, uh, we need your unity. I need you, Lord. Lord, we need you, and we need you to be right. Lord, I, 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 I grandstanded. Lord, I, I stood on this, and I was definitive that I was right. And Lord, now I realize I was not right. I was wrong. So Lord, I need you because I feel, I feel embarrassed and foolish, and, and I feel shame. And Lord, I just need you, and, and they need you. And I mean, I don't want to see a show of hands. Most people don't pray that way because it's hard. Most people don't pray with that level of vulnerability and authenticity because it's hard. It, it is. I'm just letting you guys know when, when Kara and I are button heads, and it's not very often, but when we do, it's hard. But that's exactly how we pray. And we, we had to learn it. We had to discipline it. It had to become a spiritual discipline. Vulnerability had to become a spiritual discipline. Calling out to God, saying we are desperate and we need you and we need you to be right. Had to be a spiritual discipline. You know why? Because you did not learn this from your dad. You didn't. I don't care how good your dad is. You didn't learn this from your dad. And I didn't learn this from your dad. And I didn't learn this from my mom. And you didn't learn it from your mom. This is something we only learn from our Heavenly Father who is perfect. And His grace is perfect. And His mercy is perfect. I, I don't need the amens, but man, you better be amening in your heart if you're not saying amen. Because this is, our God is good, but we're not taught this in class. And we're not taught this by our role model. And our God demonstrated this. And if we have the courage to walk this out, it will bring life in our marriages, in our relationships, with our kids, with our friends. Revealing our thoughts, our hurts, and our feelings can be the beginning of healing. Because if we don't just do that to one another, but if we do that to God, and that confession that is calling out to His healing. And just to be totally candid, some of your failures, some of the cycles that you see again and again in your life, they're not going to go away until you confess them. 
I, it sucks, I know that. It's, I'm sorry, but that's just the fact. So confess your sins, your flaws, your offenses, and your weaknesses with other believers who are close to you and with other believers who will pray with you and not just simply listen and nod and give their opinion, but who will say, okay, right now let's pray. Man, I wish there was a commercial break. Like something like like for for Jello or something, right? Or like, I know this is intense, you guys. But there's something Dave Powers, when he was with us, he taught this. And it, it was life-changing for me. He, oh, come here, KK. You need, I need you to hold the mic for me. Be, be my mic stand. This, this is my youngest daughter, KK. Okay, just hold the mic up to my mouth. Okay. All right, so over here we have, we have pain. And over here we have joy. And most of us live in this awkward, numb place in the middle that's totally dissatisfying. It's numb because we refuse to get close to the pain. And by refusing to get close to the pain, we become numb to the joy. But here's the God thing. Here's the God thing that doesn't have to make sense to us. When we will trust him with the pain and we face the pain and we walk through the pain and we invite God into the pain, then behind us, the joy is closing the gap. And that numbness, that dissatisfying place of life where we're just numb and blah, it disappears. But it disappears when we take the act of faith of saying, Lord, I ask you to help me with my pain. And then behind us, without us even seeing it, joy is closure. And then when we're done, we look, and there's joy. We're in the neighborhood of joy. Thank you, KK. And I think this relates to this message. If we won't trust the Lord with the heavy stuff, then it's this crummy place of, of numbness and dissatisfaction that we find ourselves walking in. I better get back to my points. Number two, the second reason it's worth the effort to be vulnerable is that being open and honest about our humanity is empowering. It's empowering. I'm just letting you guys know. I, I was I was vulnerable with the guys Friday night, and I just shared. I'm like, Cadence's last soccer game was a playoff game. They lost. I wasn't prepared for the emotions I would feel knowing that her last high school game was over. I love watching my girl play soccer, and I wasn't prepared for the emotional wave that I would face at that moment. And I responded poorly in a situation. I responded poorly because I, I, I didn't handle that emotion right. And uh, I ran off at the mouth and I was popping off. I mean, to the guy who was the ref, the ref, who sucked, by the way. But that's okay. That's all right. But I, I, I was, and, and I felt these strong emotions that were negative emotions, and I responded poorly. But the base of it was I, I just didn't realize how much it would hit me that that's the last time I'd seen my girl play high school soccer, right? So, so I just shared that with the guys. But see, I gave you the Cliff Notes version. I gave them the ugly cry version. I didn't cry, but I gave you like the, I gave them the snot and the poop. 
They got the snot and poop version. That's, that's right. Next one is August. Yeah. But it was wonderful, man. It, it was wonderful. And it was empowering. It was empowering saying, I was weak, but my God is strong, and I'm strong because of him, and I ran to him. James 4, 6 says this, God gives grace generously. God gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God, oppresses, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What is humility? I, I'm not going to just give you a Webster's definition of it, but I'll tell you. It's not denying your strengths. But in part, it is being honest about your weaknesses. I think when we're honest about our weaknesses, that we also can be honest about our strengths too. When we're honest about our weaknesses, it's easier to be honest about our strengths and to allow it to encourage us, to to put courage into us. That's what encourage means, to place courage into us. There used to be a time when I was a young preacher, I didn't know how to take the compliment. Oh, and so if I, if I preached a good message, oh my gosh, you know, Mark, that was such a good message. And, and I think I just had the worst response ever. My response was, oh, um, thank you, but that was all the Lord, that was all God. And then one day another pastor said, uh, no, because if it was all God, the message would have been much better. Much better. Much better. But for your part, you did good. Say thank you. I said thank you. And he's like, say that encourages me. That encourages me. He goes, there's your answer. He said, there's your answer. Don't sit there and say it was all God. It wasn't all God. You got on your knees. You prayed. You sought the Lord. God gave you revelation. You, you shared it. Say, thank you, that encourages me. That's your answer. And I'm like, boy, that other answer sounded so bad. Like, it's okay to, to, to be encouraged and to admit strengths, but it's also okay to admit weaknesses. Remember this powerful truth. God keeps pride at arm's length because he's a holy God. And he keeps pride at arm's length so that then we can humble ourselves. And then he does this. He goes from this to this. Come on. He gives grace. He embraces the humble. Why? Because pain is a fantastic teacher. And God is perfectly comfortable with us being in that moment of pain so that we will grow. So that we will learn so that we will change. Very few of us change without pain. God delights in blessing us when we understand and admit how weak we really are. So on a relational level, vulnerability tends to strengthen relationships. When we're authentic, when we take the mask off, when we swallow the pride, when we push it away, kick it to the curb, strengthens relationships and people will draw closer to us which is a really great thing in, in terms of leadership because then we're able to lead people when they draw close and point them to Jesus it's a really good thing when my daughter will draw close to me because then I can point her to Jesus and I can say 
follow me, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going. I'm following Jesus. Just follow me. And she's close. We need closeness. Curious God. But authentic vulnerability and authentic leadership creates authentic fellowship. I don't. Anybody want inauthentic fellowship? Any, any fakers? Anybody want the, the facade fellowship? Not me. Because our vulnerability encourages others to throw away their masks, and masks suck. Except for luchador masks. Luchador masks are awesome! What really stinks is this, that, that far too many people, they won't take that step of authentic leadership because they won't take that step of authentic vulnerability. Are you guys following me? If we want to have authentic relationships, there's just, this isn't rocket science. When we embrace vulnerability and authenticity as precious values, then others will realize that it's safe for them to come out of hiding. Right? It's safe for them to come out of hiding because you're not going to you're not going to judge them. You're not going to laugh at them. You're not going to harshly critique them. Number three, being vulnerable and honest about our weakness is a powerful example for people around us. It's an example. It teaches us how to walk in freedom. First Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul writes this. I want you to pattern your lives after me just as I pattern mine after Christ. Do you hear that? I want you to pattern your life after who? He's saying, I want you to pattern your life after me as I pattern my life after Christ. What he's saying is, I'm going to model to you what it is to follow Christ. And as long as I'm following Christ, you can follow my model. Does that mean Paul's perfect? No. Paul, with this, with this church in Lystra, he's like, we're men. We're men. We're not gods. Oh, my gosh, if you only knew what I want to do to you right now. I'm, I'm, I'm a man. I'm not a god. I'm flawed with the same nature as you. And yet he says, follow me as I follow Christ. It's not arrogant that Paul makes that statement. And it's not arrogant for us to make that statement. Parents, we should be able to make that statement to our kids. Follow me as I follow Christ. And my kids have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. But you know what they've seen? They've seen a man who knows how to repent. They've seen a man and a woman who, who are willing to admit when they're wrong and repent and, and turn from things and turn to the Lord. And we've modeled to our kids that perfectionism is a lie, that none of us are perfect, and that we make mistakes, and that God loves us. This is an example. Guys, when we know our heart, that means we know that there's some wickedness there. But we also know our love for the Lord. We also know that repentant heart. We know that when we blow it, like, oh, gosh, please, again, again. When, when we know our heart, 
and our heart, heart is authentic towards God, then we can walk in freedom by not pretending like we have it all together. We try to ignore. We try to ignore or hide. Hide is worse than ignore, maybe. I don't know. They're both really bad. We try to ignore or hide our shortcomings and our sins and our folly and our foolishness. They become liabilities. They become baggage that, that now we're carrying around this massive weight that's unbearable. All right, last one. Number quattro, because I'm a luchador. Being vulnerable, open, and honest is impactful. It makes a difference. It impacts lives. And it increases the impact of our testimony. All right, you want to see how the story of Paul and Barnabas in Lystra ends? Next verse, verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. Even after they got done saying we're only men, it, it says here that, that they could scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifices. Well, I guess these people who have crowned these apostles as gods uh, and have elevated them, they just can't be persuaded, huh? They just can't be persuaded. Next verse. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they picked up stones, they picked up rocks, and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. This is a good time to insert the fact that crowds are fickle. If you're following the crowd, you are out of luck, my friend, because they will turn on you like that. Young people, if you're, if you're being silent because you don't want the criticism of the crowd, guess what? It's just a matter of time. They're going to turn on you. Older people, if we're following the crowd, it's just a matter of time before that fickle crowd shows. You ready for this? But when the disciples gathered around Paul, who supposing he was dead, Paul rose up, and what did he do? Entered the city. What city? Lystra, the city he was just at, the city they just dragged him out, stoned him. He goes back into the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Ready for this? When they had preached the gospel to that city, and he had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. And I Iconium and Antioch is where those ruthless troublemongers were coming from that stirred up the stoning. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. That's so powerful. That is so powerful. You guys, when, when, when sharing our story with other people, sometimes we think, oh, what's the most powerful way that I can share my story and I'm telling you that's not the right that's not the right thought that's not the right answer what we should be asking is what's the most personal way I can share my story vulnerability is powerful the most personal way is almost always the most powerful way You guys, Paul was much more effective as a witness than he was as an orator. 
Stephen said it. He said, I don't come to you with fancy words, but a dem- demonstration of power. I'm much more effective as a witness than I am as a conversationalist. You are much more effective as a witness than you are as a storyteller. Why? What's a witness? In legal terms, a witness is someone that says, this is what I saw. I was there. This is what I heard. I witnessed this with my own two eyes. I experienced this. This is what I experienced. So you guys, we're not just supposed to just talk about Jesus or talk about the Bible. We're supposed to get up on the stand and raise our hand to God and say, I swear, I promise, I declare that I am telling you the truth and the whole truth. So help me, God. This is what I've experienced. And we can't do that if we're unwilling to be vulnerable. Because some of the stuff we've experienced is ugly and God brought it, turned it to beauty. Some of it was just ashes, and God brought beauty from those ashes, from that death. Vulnerability. It's powerful. It creates fellowship. The best environment to nurture authenticity. So I'll say this share your struggles. Share your struggles, honestly. Because none of us are none of us are Superman. We don't, there's not that red S on the chest. None of us are perfect. Share your struggles. And then describe ways that you're making progress. Talk about what the Lord's doing in your life. It doesn't have to be the end result. It can be, hey, I'm not there yet, but let me tell you what God is doing. Let me tell you what he's doing. I'm growing. I'm not there yet, but I'm growing. Tell people what you're learning. Here's what I'm learning. I'm and then give God glory for his grace. Give God glory for his patience, for his mercy. Give God glory that he is your defender. Rick Warren says this, and I love this quote. Rather than posturing ourselves as self-confident and invincible, we need to see ourselves as trophies of God's grace. I've discovered that the more open I am about my weakness, the more God blesses my life. So, in closing, having the courage and humility to be vulnerable is healthy, it's empowering, it's an example, and it's impactful. Can we close our eyes? This, this is one of those messages that we have to take to heart, church. That we've got to grow to. That we've got to trust God in. This is one of those messages of vulnerability that benefits our relationships. And I'm telling you right now, we need it. Yes, we need grace, but I'm telling you, we need, we need vulnerability as well. We need to confess our sins one to another so that Restoration might take place. I say it all the time. Repentance is a wonderful thing. Being able to change our mind about how we were doing something or how we were feeling about something, realizing it was wrong and saying, Lord, I changed my mind. 
and a change of action will follow. Because now I, I see that I was wrong in this. I want to follow you. I want to obey you. I trust you. Let's just take a second. Let's just take a minute. Just take a minute and respond to the Lord. I don't want you to respond to me right now. I want you to respond to the Lord because I'm certain that the Holy Spirit is moving and just speaking things to each one of us. So let's just take a moment and be comfortable with the silence and just respond to him. the Lord is telling some folks that there's some conversations he wants you to have with someone that you've that you've hurt that you've offended that you've been thoughtless or careless with and, and he's asking you to humble yourself to be to be vulnerable and to, and to confess that sin to confess that fault that shortcoming that bothers you. If that's you, would you just purpose right now in your heart, yes, Lord, I, I'm, I'm going to swallow my pride. I'm going to swallow my fear. I'm, I'm going to do that, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would trust you more than ever before, that we would trust you with our hearts. We would trust you to be our defender. We would not be afraid of criticism, and Lord, we would be quick to speak the truth in love. Lord, we would not be afraid to be authentic. And that we would cling to the truth of who you say we are. And you say we are so loved and unique and cool. And that, that Father, when you look at us, you see your son fullest of grace because of that completed work of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Anybody needs prayer? We'd love to pray for you. Um, as soon as I pray this blessing, you're going to see people come up and turn and face you, and they're, they're going to be ready to pray. If you need prayer, this is a great place to get prayer. It's a great place to get prayer. Don't be in such a hurry to leave that you leave without missing the opportunity to get prayed for. Uh, I love y'all. Pastor Matthew next week is going to talk about the, the impact that the gospel is making in Ireland. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's bringing a pot of gold. I'm pretty sure. We'll see. What I hope. I'll leave us with this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have an amazing day, my friends. Love y'all. See you next week.